Yeah, so once again, welcome, welcome everyone. Really a delight to see you this evening. And uh, just a reminder here, we come together as community, as a way to explore the spiritual path. And the key word is explore and to get a sense of what resonates and also to be sensitive to what doesn't resonate. Because this is part of the exploration is getting a sense of what, what really works and what doesn't rather than merely believing something. And I wanted to begin this evening by just acknowledging um, the situation in, in Burma and, and Myanmar. I think most of you probably know, you know, there was the, the military, military coup that happened on February 1st that ousted the the elected civilian government there. And since then, there's been thousands and thousands of of people taking to the streets and protesting the military coup. And yesterday, many of you might know, it uh, was the, the deadliest day so far, uh, at least as far as we know, um, as, as far as this goes. And one of the reasons I wanted just to bring that and to begin there together with all of you is because many of the practices that we explore here together on Monday evenings, they have their roots really woven through Buddhist, Buddhist lineages found in Myanmar, found in Burma. And I, I found it really important to honor these roots of these practices. And, and one of the reasons is because they have touched my heart so deeply, and I found them to be so deeply transformative for myself. So I, I feel indebted and I feel grateful for how these practices and traditions have been carried along in, in Myanmar and Burma. So honoring, honoring uh, those lineages and acknowledging just the, the pain and suffering that's going on there. And at the same time, when I acknowledge the roots of these practices, or at least many of the practices that we explore here, I feel like I also have to acknowledge the shadow side of some of the strands of Buddhism that's found in Burma and Myanmar, just because it's important to talk about these things. Because there are strands of Buddhism in, in Burma that have gotten really entangled in unfortunate ways in uh, qualities of nationalism and dynamics of oppression, and in particular, the oppression of non-Buddhist groups in Myanmar and Burma. You know, there's a, over 135 different ethnic groups in Myanmar, and you probably know one of them quite well if you've been following the news the past few years of the Rohingya Muslims, who during these past years have been displaced, over 700,000 traveling to Bangladesh in the last few years, you know, many murdered and, and in what most observers see as clear acts of ethnic cleansing and genocide. And yeah, it's complex. You know, these, these conflicts with many of these ethnic groups have been going on for seven decades now. So there's a lot of tension and, and yet there's still a dominant, you know, the dominant Buddhists uh, culture there. There are strands of it that are oppressive. 
And this is one of the things about honoring the roots of anything. Maybe you've noticed this just about honoring your own roots. Sometimes there's strands that aren't so pretty, but also there's beautiful strands as well. And I, I always wanna be careful. Like I'm not here to paint a fairy tale. I'm here to really honor and share that how I've been moved. And yes, there's unskillful strands as well. So as I said, many of the practice that we, we explore here on Monday nights have the roots woven into these Buddhist lineages found in Myanmar. And as I said, I am deeply grateful because they've deeply impacted my spiritual path. You know, for example, in 2002, 2003, I did a three-month retreat in Burma. And that three-month retreat in terms of this particular path was so deeply transformative. And I got a, a much deeper taste of, you could say, the kind of the, the power of this practice in this path. <laughs> I remember on that retreat, there, the, the main teacher was this uh, teacher, Saida Upandita. And Saida Upandita uh, is uh, a Burmese monastic who greatly influenced um, the insight meditation tradition, the modern insight meditation tradition. And I remember in one of his Dharma talks during the three-month retreat, he said, you know, in Burma, the government's pretty bad, politics is pretty bad. But the Dhamma, the Dhamma, oh, there's so much depth. We have really good Dharma here. <laughs> and I so appreciated that. And it was true, like the the commitment to practice was so moving there. It was deeply moving. So as I was reflecting on this, as all this was kind of coming in and taking this in, especially last night, I I thought of kind of a way of honoring this, this lineage and appreciating and hopefully inspiring our practices and hopefully hearing some of the potential, kind of the, the depth that's, that's possible for us. I wanted to um, just share with you some vignettes, some stories about a particular practitioner. You've heard me talk about her, Deepa Ma. She's a Bengali woman who did most of her practice that really unfolded in Burma, in Myanmar. And I, I want to share with you some specific stories. And mostly just because there is a tremendous, tremendous depth to her embodiment of this path. And she was able to really emanate it, to practice it. It wasn't just like spiritual experiences, but she lived it in a way that I found really inspiring. And not only that, I think one of the things that's so inspiring for me is that um, this is someone who also came from a background of deep, deep suffering. And just so you know, she, she started to practice later on in her life. And it was after this 10-year period where, uh, in this 10-year period, her husband died, two of her children died, and also her parents were already, uh, had already passed away, and here she was in Burma, newly in, in Burma, and really didn't have much of a support system. And her health during these 10 years deeply deteriorated. And it was that that impelled her into practice. And it was from really getting into practice that she had this deep, profound awakening. And it's interesting, then what happens, so she, she really, her practice unfolded in this 
really unique and remarkable way. And then in 1967, the military government, so I just want to point out the military dictatorship in Burma has been going on for a long time. So 1967, they ordered all foreigners to leave the country and things were getting worse at that time in, in Myanmar. So she went back to Kolkata, getting some support from some relatives and began to live there and teach to, uh, meditation and in her community there. So tonight I'd, I'd like to share a few vi vignettes about her for the reflections um, I'm going to offer tonight. And this is what I am going to invite you to do, though, when I'm sharing them is I'm going to invite you to make this into a practice. I'm going to invite you to listen to these vignettes in a different way. To practice a different way of listening and taking in story. And hopefully you're going to get a sense it's a practice about opening um, in a way that can help inspire the heart. It's really what we're looking for. And in order to explain this, I'm going to tie it to a uh, quite a, a classic classical uh, practice that is rarely taught in the insight meditation tradition, this tradition. And yet it's um, uh, such a foundation for especially like practices in Myanmar and Burma. And it's a, a practice called a Buddha Nusati. What that literally means is it means um, a recollection of the Buddha. And you might hear at the end, sati is there, which is the Pali word for mindfulness, which can also be translated as remembering. So remembering the Buddha. And in, in particular, reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha in order to, one, inspire us and in order to begin to inhabit them. So it's a practice for inspiration. It's like it's talked about to give joy to the heart to, to inspire us in our practice. And so that's my main aim is just an invitation to play around with what allows you to possibly feel inspired by some of these stories about Deepa Ma, this, this woman I'll be sharing with you about. And I'm sure you notice this in your life, right? It's a common thing to be inspired by someone in whatever realm you're engaged in. Tennis player, tennis players, Serena Williams, right? Basketball, LeBron James. Like sometimes in athletics, there's something so moving to see someone who has reached that pinnacle of refinement in that way. Or some of you who play music, or if you teach, or if you're an artist in some way, or you engage in something, can you think of folks who inspire you? Maybe it's been around other interests that you have. And how that's been helpful in whatever domain that you've been exploring. And I'm, I'm pointing this out to, to point out that to learn something, it's so great to have inspiration, to have some kind of modeling. This is what can carry us forward. And in particular, like with the, with the qualities of the Buddha, or tonight it's going to be qualities of this woman, Deepa Ma, what I want to point out is that these qualities, at least the seeds, exist in your own heart. 
And what inspiration, a part of what inspiration is, is to see it outside of me, and then it can resonate inside of me. And then I can begin to claim them and nurture them. Like one person called this uh, outsight, which I love. It's like, I see these wonderful qualities in that other person. The reason I can see those wonderful qualities is because they're somehow resonating for me. They might not be the full flowering of that seed, but there's the seed. So there's an invitation tonight to see if you can start to notice those qualities in, for example, Deepama in these stories, but get a sense of the seed that's there in your own heart and to get a sense of maybe how to nurture them in some way. To me, this is the process of inspiration that can be effective. And I want to say this has been important for my meditation practice. So often what I find when I talk to people about the difficulty of continuing to practice in meditation, because having a daily practice can be so difficult for folks over the long term, is often it's because the heart isn't inspired, it's not moved. And once there can be a re-inspiration, sometimes practice comes back. So again, these short vignettes that I'll be getting into, really what you're gonna hear, it's gonna be describing the quality of our presence. So I invite you in light of this, if we could just take a really like just a minute, just to allow the attention to come inward and to settle a bit, just feeling the body and feeling the breath maybe just to arrive a little bit more into this moment. Maybe allowing for a quality of relaxation. Okay, so now I'm going to share with you. And again, when I'm sharing, I'm inviting you, you don't have to be meditating during this. It's more of a listening practice than like a formal meditation. It's uh, having that receptive quality. So someone who was hanging out with Deepama in, in uh, India, this is what she said, this is what he said of her. He says, I never ever saw Deepama have a restless or distracted moment. And I used to watch her all the time. When she would stand, it was like a rock dropping. She would just stand. And when she sat, she sat, period. There was never anything else going on. So just with that short description, can you start to get a, 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 a sense, even imagining a sense of what that would be like? of having a heart and mind that just wasn't restless, wasn't agitated. So that when you were standing, you were really just standing. And when you sat, you just sat. 
right? That stability, that steadiness of heart and mind. And her sense of inner stability really was quite remarkable. Like, uh, you know, a few people reported this. I remember um, Joseph Goldstein, uh, an insight meditation teacher who knew her quite well. One time, uh, Deepamad said to Joseph, Joseph, um, you know what you need to do to deepen your practice is you need to sit for three days. And he thought, she meant to do a three-day meditation set meditation retreat and what she meant was was to sit without getting up for three days so this is a a, a way that she practiced like her daughter deepa uh mentions this in a book about uh deepama where uh, this is when they were living in burma and she sometimes would sit for three days. So that means on the first day she would begin to sit. And so she wouldn't get up to eat or drink or go to the bathroom. And then after three full days, she would get up again. She was an incredibly remarkable practitioner in this sense. And hopefully you hear there was a kind of stability, steadiness that was really quite profound in her practice. And yeah, I want to be, you know, realistic here. I mean, I, I should be cautious. Maybe some of you will be doing this soon, but probably many of us will not actualize such a thing. And yet what I appreciate about this story is it's like, I want to feel into to that potential, like, oh, this heart and mind has a potential for even more steadiness and stability. What a cool thing, even if I can't make it there, even if I can't quote unquote be like LeBron James in basketball or Serena Williams in tennis, to have that inspiration, steadiness, stability. And it wasn't just a, a meditative thing for her, she embodied it. Like again, this is a, a quote from her daughter Deepa, who said, you know, when my mother, when she stood up against something she felt was wrong, sometimes Others would blame and criticize her, but she was not bothered by this. She told me, why be upset? You know, even the Buddha had to bear slanders and criticism throughout his entire life. And that's the way she was. There was a kind of stability there. Can you feel that potential in your heart? steadiness in the midst of blame and criticism and what would that feel like to feel that steadiness when you stand and when you sit whether there's criticism or not and this this kind of steadiness and clarity also had a deep impact on her whole community so there was a actually a researcher, he was a psychologist at Harvard by the name of Jack Engler, who was going over in the mid 1970s and was doing really interesting research on meditation and meditation practitioners during that time. And he got to know her really well. And so this is uh, some of his description of, of, of her, of Deepama. He said, when she first moved into her apartment complex, it was a pretty noisy and contentious place. 
with a lot of bickering, arguing, and yelling among the tenants, amplified by the open courtyard. Everyone knew everyone else's business because it was being shouted back and forth all the time. And then within six months of her moving in, the whole place had quieted down and people were starting to get along with each other for the first time. Her presence and the way she dealt with people quietly, calmly, gently treating them with kindness and respect, setting limits and challenging their behavior when necessary, but out of concern for everyone's welfare, not out of anger or simple desire for personal comfort. Rather, she set an example and made it impossible to carry on in the angry, contentious way they had before. It was the simple force of her presence. You couldn't act like that around her. her. You just didn't. And maybe you felt this in yourself, maybe to, not to that degree, but if you noticed when there's more steadiness or stability of the heart, it can impact others around you. We can be in the world in a radically different way. This is part of the promise of this practice is allowing the heart to respond to the world in a different way. And people talked about really feeling this around here, like one of her students uh, one, uh, in her neighborhood in Kolkata said, she said, she was one of the few people in my life whose presence in whose minute, she's, let me start that again. She was one of the few people in my life in whose presence I have gone quiet. I was able to rest in her silence, like resting under a large shade tree. And maybe you felt that before, where there's a kind of quiet or stability or silence in someone that, that settles your system. A beautiful gift to offer that that is th these potential seeds that are there for us in this meditation practice on this path or again joseph goldstein when i think one of the first times he went to kolkata to meet her um, he talks about going up kind of these many flights of stairs this dark hallway to get to her apartment she said, he said, when you opened up the, the, the door to get there, he said, uh, it, it felt like uh, the room was filled with life, light. The feeling was wonderful, he said. And when I would leave, it was as if I was floating, floating down the streets of Kolkata, floating through the dirt and the crowds. It was a very magical and sacred experience. And I think her whole journey really was deeply moving for a lot of people. There's a quote from the insight meditation teacher, Sylvia Borstein, who also spent time with Deepa Ma. She said, everything that I feared most in life, losing my husband, losing my children, had happened to Deepa Ma. And yet here she was, 
tranquil and equanimous and cheerful. To see her with the same causes for concern as I had, but without the worry, that, that was so inspirational. Can you again get a feeling sense of those seeds in yourself? The potential of being able to be in the world without those kinds of fears, but instead of, instead of that joy and equanimity, ability to respond, to really be here rather than merely worry. It's like that outside, there she is, and can we get a sense of it in here in our hearts? And then lastly, this is from um, someone who met Deepama. She met, met Deepama when Deepama was visiting in the United States. And this woman said, you know, she met Deepama at a time where uh, a period in her life where she was deeply, deeply unhappy. Marriage was falling apart, was really having a difficult time mothering her kids, felt ashamed of herself, really low self-esteem, really broken in some way. And so she goes over to this house that Deepa Ma's at, and Deepa Ma was up in the attic uh, meeting people with her interpreter who was um, interpreting for her since uh, Deepamba was speaking Bengali. And so this woman goes up to the attic and so she opens the door and as she's going through the door and she's beginning to sit down, she hasn't even sat down all the way. Deepa, Deepamba starts to talk to her interpreter. And then the interpreter, as this woman is sitting down, says, oh, Deepamba wants to let you know that the practice you need to do so they've they'd never spoken before ever before <laughs> they'd never met each other before and the interpreter says to um this woman you know the, the practice that deepamo thinks that you should do is you should be only doing the practice of loving kindness because she can get this sense of like oh wow there is a lot of trouble in your life and this is what you really need is to do this and this woman said it was the exact thing she needed and she really stuck to it you know she she even uh talks about this let me share with you this quote she says my meeting with Deepama inspired me and even though i found it quite difficult i worked with loving kindness reciting the phrases inwardly many times a day and throughout my sitting practice at first i couldn't feel a positive response but i continued it took about three months before I could begin to feel some genuine warmth, warmth toward myself. At the end of six months, I could feel a definite shift in myself when I'd bring my attention to the practice. I could feel more softness, openness, and even affection. Somehow, Deepama found just the right way to wake me up, to give me a tool to change my patterns and to create a major shift in my life. to engage in a practice where we can respond to others in front of us, to have a sense of what the heart really needs in times. 
At this point, what I'm going to invite you to do is we'll just take two minutes, two minutes to stretch the body and move around. And then before you take the break, just what we'll do is to come back. And if there's any kind of feeling of inspiration, we want to see if we can bring this into the meditation. And for some of you, there might not be. So I want to acknowledge that, you know, I'm I'm just sharing with you this practitioner that deeply inspires me for practice. And if this doesn't fit, then it's still that need to, to see what does inspire you. And if you do feel that inspiration, see if you can allow that to be there. Like, oh, I, I really want to engage in meditation, however it's going to be. So let's take two minutes. Let's come back at 33 minutes past the hour, and then I'll guide us into the, the meditation together. Okay, I'll see you then.